This presentation was from Yox Australia 2017, held in Sydney. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit yoxaustralia.com.au. Good afternoon, everybody. I have a tremendous number of ideas to try and squeeze into 10 minutes. If I don't get through them all, or if indeed you have any questions uh, that you'd like to ask afterwards, uh, please come and find me, uh, and I'd love to discuss things with you. Um, what I'll talk about is why you need, after these talks, to go and use the liquid soap in the bathrooms to wash your mouth out, um, and the role of language uh, in design and innovation. So to start, how many of you have had projects where you've absolutely sunk your heart and soul into the work only for it to go absolutely nowhere. Quick show of hands. Okay. I've had my fair share of these, and I'm very interested in how we transform these experiences from these sorts of things that leave you flat to far more positive experiences, and I believe that language can play a fundamental role there. The first thing that I'd like to talk about a little bit is the knowledge funnel that Roger Martin refers to. If you haven't read his work, then I highly suggest that you do. Right, so this is Roger's way of representing the way in which organizations create value. I'll step through this super quickly. They start at the level of the mystery. Right? There's a question to be answered. What is this whole gravity thing? What's it all about? In response to that, they go about developing a series of heuristics or rules of thumb. Right? We think that it's about this. And gradually, over time, they refine those heuristics to algorithms. Right? They work out a way of doing the same thing again and again in a repeated manner that is highly efficient. And this is the way that businesses create value. One of the problems, as you will no doubt be aware, is that many businesses end up being stuck in the algorithm space. Right? Once they've done that journey once, they struggle to get back up to the space of the mystery, perhaps in an adjacent industry, to define a new source of value, refine that to an algorithm and create value. And that process of taking businesses up to that uh, uh, mystery space is often where we spend our time, and it's certainly where I spend a lot of my time. What I'm interested in talking about is how we cut the verbiage, we leave the verbs behind, um, and how we might use this in our language more effectively. Some time ago, I did a course in neurolinguistic programming. Sounds fancy, quite easy, actually, and I highly recommend it. One of the things they talked about in there was how to set goals, and the framework that they used was this one over here. Now, before you start breaking your pencils in order to stab yourself in the eyes, going, oh, my God, he's not going to talk about this, is he? I'm not. I'm going to talk about just one aspect, and that really struck me. Express your goals as if... Now, right? As if now. What that means is express your goals in the present tense. I'll give you an example. How we usually express goals. I need to train for a triathlon. Quite true. We will launch whatever it is. How NLP suggests that you might express your goals is I am, right? Or we are. You're expressing them as if now, expressing them in the present tense. And their assertion is that changes the way that you relate to them and hence your ability to achieve them. This is the part that really struck me as quite profound. When you express your goals as I need to, then you've already achieved your goal of needing. Your goals needing to, well, 
well done. You've done it straight away. You don't actually need to do anything. Right? You express them as I will or in the future tense, then that kind of separates them from where you are. So kind of weird, profound. Does this actually have any significance or is it just kind of hippy-dippy neurolinguistic programming stuff? So I was interested in finding out whether the tense that you use to express your goals changes your ability to improve them, to achieve them, sorry. During my research, I came across something called future time reference in languages. Different languages either have strong future time reference or weak future time reference. An example of a language with strong future time reference is, in fact, English. Uh, or Italian, weak future time reference languages are German and Mandarin. Now, what does this mean? Strong future time reference and weak future time reference force the uh, speaker to grammatically express time in different ways. So you see, running along the top, despite the rain, the fact that the rain is the same, you change the way that you express it rained yesterday, it is raining now, it will rain tomorrow. Whereas in German, uh, uh, which might sound odd to English speakers, and it's the same in Mandarin, yesterday it rained, t- today it rained, tomorrow it rained, right? So it sounds grammatically incorrect to us. And I had a look at a chap called Chi- Keith Chen's work, and indeed this is um, from his uh, TED talk. Now, what I think is most interesting there, right? So you speak English, a future language. What that means is every time you discuss the future or any kind of a future event, Grammatically, you're forced to cleave that from the present. And his assertion is, is that's what you do. Does the way that you speak change the way that you think? Does that influence your behavior? And will that influence economic behavior? I highly recommend watching his TED Talk. Turns out that it does, pretty substantially so. Right, so if you have a look at those stats, speakers of weak future time reference languages such as, for example, uh, German or Mandarin, accumulate 39% more wealth by retirement, 24% less likely to smoke, 29% more likely to exercise. I wish I'd been brought up German. <laughs> I also re-watched Wayne's World, and I thought these guys were on to it ages ago. <laughs> Another concept I'll introduce to you super quickly is nominalization, right? So nominalization is... is basically the process um, of turning your verbs into nouns. And what that does, just the last point for you there, is that it tends to hide the real action. So nominalization in and of itself is neither good nor bad. I'll give you some examples here. We walked for charity versus the charity walk. It becomes a thing, becomes a concept, this abstract entity. Crime was increasing versus the rapid increase. The increase is a thing. Um, And I guess, and I'd encourage you to look this up because I don't have time in the 10 minutes, but I think there's something quite profound in this. I'll give you an example of a piece of work I did in New Zealand. Um, You look at the language that they're using here in the bank, right? Express banking. They say what it is. It's a thing, They were very interested in changing users' behavior and actually, in fact, getting them to move away from the content to use self-service more. But there are no verbs in that. And you can't change behavior if you don't tell people what to do, if you don't actually give them some clear instructions. And that same kind of highly nominalized language was reflected throughout their offering. So 
Another NLP concept is that verbs create moving images uh, and that nouns create static images in the minds of the people that you're talking to. So, where are we? A lot of lingo. Firstly, using the present tense, or indeed speaking a weak future time reference language, helps drive action. I haven't talked about active verbs, but I say look them up. Excessive nominalization can have an ossifying or stultifying effect on your language. And I guess my conjecture is that if innovation is all about action, right, helping clients move from the algorithm space back up to the level of the mystery and down through that process again, that language might create a fundamental, uh, play a fundamental role in that. And my sense is that as we move down the funnel, the language often becomes highly nominalized, right? We have nouns and names for absolutely everything. How's the restructure, the restructure, as opposed to how's firing people going? How's that working out for you, right? We tend to steer away from that. My sense on experts and indeed sometimes academics is that they have an absolute love of nouns and nominalizations. That's where they spend their world. And if you look at academic writing, it indeed encourages you to nominalize. So nomenclature, methods, uh, and methodologies. And what I'm interested in is, in our domain, ourselves, are we falling into the same trap, right? We're debating service, we're debating the difference between user experience, and I can see a couple of heads nodding. Um, and it's kind of like we no longer solve problems, we do a sprint, right? So it becomes highly normalized. It becomes these things or methods that we do. And if this is the case, if we're moving toward a highly nominalized language, then is that, in fact, restricting our own ability to help our clients move back up to the space of the mystery, right? And, indeed, uh, influencing our ability to operate in that space. So what I believe, and it seems the more I research this, the more interesting it is, um, is that if we change our language to be far more actively verb-driven and indeed present tense, um, it definitely will help us in actually being more successful in this mission. So I'll leave you with a couple of quotes. This is a David Cooper writer quote, right? Words create worlds. Think about the language that you're using and thinking about, think about whether that is noun or verb-driven and the sort of impact that it might be having on your projects. And finally, I'll leave you with this, which is a Paul Pangara quote, an organization is its language. So what is the language that you're introducing to organizations and how is that going to impact their ability to drive action forward? Finally, what I'll encourage you to do is either use the liquid soap or use a bar of soap to wash the nouns and all the nominalized phrases out of your mouth so that you can work more effectively from here on forwards. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed this presentation from UX Australia 2017. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au.